Um, the uh, thing Gary left out, I'm up here at the church, and uh, it's probably about 4 o'clock, and he goes, uh, we don't have a special tonight, you want to sing? No. <laughs> and then about 10 minutes later, I text and I go, I'll sing, but you're going down with me, you know, so uh, anyway, so we pulled that out, but um, anyways, it's a uh, good thing about that when you do things kind of last minute is there's less um, pressure because I guess the expectation's a little lower, so uh, <laughs> at least on my end, so uh, it's a blessing there. I do want to read while those are being passed out a, a card. Uh, for you here from Miss uh, Brenda, and um, she said, You were right there when it mattered most with your help and support. You reached out and gave of your generous heart, and you made more of a difference than you probably ever realized. Thank you for all your help, prayers, Gary and uh, Brenda, and uh, thankful to see her upright today in the sense of not being rolling around on a scooter. And so, uh, thankful that she's on the mend and doing better and uh, continue to pray for her as she heals up and uh, continues to do better. And of course, several folks in our church are the same uh, boat, healing up uh, from surgeries and from things. And so uh, be in prayer for one another. All right. Well, uh, as you get a, a handout there, if you want one of them, we are going to deal with tonight uh, this idea of marriage and money. So we've been talking about dollars and cents and just kind of going over personal finance and uh, the biblical perspective on some of this. Again, uh, I don't claim to be a financial guru in any way, uh, but I do love the Bible, and very thankful the Bible's got some things to say on this subject matter, and uh, rely heavily on a lot of other folks that are pretty good at this stuff as well, and have written lots of books and information, and uh, just hope and pray that it'll be a help and a blessing uh, as we go through this. And so, uh, Proverbs chapter 21 is where we're going to start here uh, this evening. Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 5, I've got the wrong thing written down here. Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 31. Some of y'all were there and then you started going. Now you're going, anyways, I, I caused a disaster there. All right, Proverbs, <laughs> Ephesians, just in case you thought you had a perfect pastor, I'll prove that wrong. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Let us pray. <laughs> no. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's all stand uh, and move on with this here. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 31. We're going to come back to this text uh, later on in the service, uh, but just as a way of getting us started, kind of springboarding into this subject of marriage and money, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 31. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.31 says this way, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Okay, so thankful for the institution of marriage. So we're going to kind of do a little bit of uh, church-wide marriage counseling here tonight. And uh, hope that it will be a blessing and help to you. So may God bless the of His Word. You can be seated. And thank you uh, for standing in honor of the Scriptures uh, here tonight. <clears throat> Try to stick to the notes here pretty heavily tonight. Um, you have most of them uh, there in your handouts uh, this evening, and that way we don't uh, deviate and I get in trouble. It's already happened once tonight. We don't need to have it happen multiple times. Uh, but also that way, just time-wise, we have a good um, a way to get through all of this in a timely manner. There's not a lot, but just maybe a little bit more than we have in some of the other lessons. 
because uh, like I said, this has almost taken uh, some more elaborate marriage counseling, condensing it down to, you know, a 20, 30 minute deal. And so we're going to try to do the best we can uh, here this evening. All right, 50% of all marriages in the United States will end in divorce or separation. Now, this isn't a new number. There's been studies, and that, that number fluctuates up and down. Um, actually, nowadays, the number's not quite as high as it was years ago. Uh, the main reason for that is people just aren't even getting married in the first place. That's a big cultural trend we're in right now. A lot of people that are in their 20s are running into is they just living together and not even getting married. And so, obviously, there's still, statistically, though, about 50% of all marriages uh, in the United States are ending in divorce or separation. Second and third marriages, that number exponentially goes up. By the third marriage, m almost 80% of them will end in divorce. And so, uh, obviously, there's a, a huge issue of marriages and separation, divorces that take place uh, within the United States. Now, some of the leading causes of divorce in America today, and these are just ones, again, thank you, Google, you go on there and you kind of do some research uh, and some sources that are cited out there, but uh, the num one of the number one reasons was just people say we're incompatible. Whatever that means, just people say, well, we thought we were good for each other, but we're not, and that was one of the uh, big reasons why people cited that. Uh, one of the major issues is infidelity or unfaithfulness, Okay. Uh, one that was cited was lack of intimacy, poor communication, addictions, abuse, religion was a big one that's up there too if they were of different persuasions about the Lord. Uh, and uh, a major one to deal with here tonight, finances was a big, big issue. Actually, around 25% of all divorces cited money as the number one reason for their divorce. A poll recently showed that financial issues were the number one cause of divorce. Now, whether that's true or not, that's just one poll. That was the number one cited reason that people said that they uh, had a divorce. Justin A. Rucker's, one of the ones who was writing one of these articles, said this, I have long believed financial disagreements to be the most common cause of marital conflict and ultimately divorce. So, obviously, finances... Uh, can be a major strain. If you've been married any length of time, uh, you probably understand that that is a reality, that there can be times that are tight financially, differences about how money ought to be spent or used, and it can be a, a, a conflict point uh, even within good marriages. There can be that conflict that's there. So the question here tonight is, what does God have to say about marriage and what does God have to say about money? And say that together, what does God have to do say about money in marriage? Okay, so we're going to kind of take a, a biblical worldview approach to this uh, because just to be completely transparent, I really could care less what the world has to say about marriage because they obviously are failing at it miserably. Amen. Okay, failing miserably. And I really could care less what the world has to say about finances because they're failing at that too, okay, uh, in, in a very miserable way. But I'm telling you, if you want to win in both of those areas, God's word will never lead you astray. And you, you can win in finances and marriage, and it doesn't have to be a uh, point of conflict or issue uh, within your marriage. So just as a quick review, uh, several lessons that we've gone over. I guess I don't really need to hash all of these out uh, and go through each one. But we've, we've gone through eight lessons thus far and have talked about all these areas in which God wants us to be diligent and right stewards of our money. Okay, 
And so I won't go through all the, the uh, review of all of those things. So let's kind of jump into the notes uh, here tonight. So the first one is this, marriage, God's institution. Marriage, God's institution. Now, the, uh, the first institution made by God for the benefit of man was marriage. Okay, first institution made by God for the benefit of man was marriage. Now, this is, of course, laid out for us in Genesis chapter number 2, verses 18 through 24. Now, I'm going to read this to you. The verse will be up there, but for sake of space, I didn't put it on your notes. You're welcome to turn there if you would like, or the words are up on the screen. Now, Genesis 2, 18 says it this way, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. Now isn't it interesting that God comes up with this determination, it's not good that man's alone, he needs a helpmeet. And then God says, I know that, but Adam needs to know that. So then he has him name all these animals, and he sees there's the male and female of each of these animals, and he's naming them all. And then Adam comes to this realization, where's mine? Right? And, and so God helps Adam understand his great need for a help me uh, by allowing him to go through that naming process. I think that was a big reason why God had Adam do that. Not only to exercise dominion, but also understand his great need that he was missing a piece, right? There's a part that's missing there. So then it goes on and says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woe man yep. <laughs> this is where you get woman from right uh, actually woman literally means she was taken out of man which is what Adam says I'm calling her this because she was taken out of man therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh well how does that work well they were one flesh from one God made two so as they come back together, they too make one. That's how God designed it, right? They're raised in their home. When they leave home, they leave and cleave. That's how God designed marriage to take place. So this is obviously Genesis 2. And here we have <clears throat> this first institution that God begins to make for the benefit of man before he makes any type of, uh, of government, before he makes any type of religious organization or structure. He makes the institution of the home, the husband and the wife. And he says, these two are going to be one. And he makes woman and the man and makes this institution called marriage. One man, one woman for life. God never changed his mind on that. It's the same as it always has been. Now, God created woman for the man that he might be made complete. So again, just viewing the biblical text here. Adam is without a helpmeet. He is alone. God makes woman to complete him. Because without woman, he is there and he, he's not complete. There's something missing. There's a piece that is not there. So Proverbs 18.22 would say this. 
Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And this is the time where every wife looks at her husband and go, you got a good thing. Amen. Right here, right? Because uh, that's, what, that's what the Bible says. Okay, we're just quoting scripture here. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you got a good thing when you got your wife. And so, of course, I always like to point out that thing, whoso findeth a wife, right? Uh, findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Well, why does he obtain favor of the Lord? Again, just kind of looking at some of these scriptures as we go through them. He obtains favor of the Lord because that was God's design from the beginning. That man would have this thing that would help him be complete and be all that God wanted him to be was that wife. So it's a good thing that that happens. So the husband and wife are to be completers or complementers and completers for each other. Okay? God created us with specific strengths and weaknesses. Gary Thomas in his book, Sacred Marriage, which I encourage everyone to read that. It's a phenomenal book. But he would suggest in the book there that God created marriage to make us holy, not happy. And I would say this, I wholeheartedly agree with him. God didn't primarily give Adam a wife so Adam would be happy. He gave Adam a wife so he would be complete, so he would be whole, so he would be everything God intended him to be. And I think it's the same way now because at no point in my life have I been uh, shown more of how wicked I am than through my wife. <laughs> now, we, that could be turned around also because, let's be honest, we do things that irritate one another. And, and we do things that is just part of our fallen human nature that causes the other one to go, oh, I just want to so bad. I want to let him have it. But in marriage, we learn more than any other point how to be forgiving, how to be gracious, how to show mercy. I, I mean, come on now. At what point in your life have you had to express more of those emotions than in your marriage? It is, it is the battlefield which you learn those things. That's maybe a bad word to use there. Marriage doesn't have to be a battlefield. But marriage is the training ground where you learn more than any other place in life how to exhibit and show godly characteristics. So maybe if some of the other things that he says there in the book, you don't have these in your notes, but marriage presents us with challenges that help us learn more about God, grow in our understanding of Him, and learn to love Him more. Being married forces you to face some character issues you would never have to face had you not been married. Marriage calls us to an entirely new and selfless life. And we could go down the list here. So we say this, marriage completes us. It's a piece of the puzzle that we need one another uh, in life. That's not to say if you're not married, you're somehow not all that God wants you to be, or you're not complete, or you're not right with God. I'm just saying that's why God created marriage. It was to make us holy not to make us necessarily happy. Now, marriage can make you happy, but that was God's primary objective. Now, marriage is provided of God that you might experience life together. Now, life is composed of both mountains and valleys, which means this, there's highs and lows, aren't there? If you live life any length of times, there's great joys and there's great sorrows. Now, enjoy the mountaintops because they're a lot of fun. I love the mountaintops. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of living doesn't happen on the mountaintops, but it happens in the valleys. Difficulties, disappointments, and hardships can pull you together or drive you apart. They can either be the glue or they can be the wedge. And it all has to do with how you handle that. You say, but they, but they. No, no, no. Marriage is a, a, an opportunity for you to grow. Amen. 
for you to be everything God wants you to be. It's easy to look at the problems in others, but God wants us to examine the problems in our own life. And difficulties in marriage can be that glue that drives you together or a wedge that pulls you apart. We also know this, love in marriage promotes giving. John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave, right? Yeah. Love is not an emotion, it's an action. It's something that you do. Somebody says, well, I just don't love them anymore. That is an inaccurate use of that word because that is simply saying this. If you don't love them anymore, that means you're not pursuing them anymore because love is an action, not an emotion. The emotion follows the action. Okay. So again, so the right kind of marriage involves the spirit of giving. Always seek first the good of the other and the marriage will grow as God intends it to. I'm just a word of encouragement. I've known people that have been married for five years that have rock solid, awesome marriages that are just rock stars. So they're doing an awesome job. And I know marriages that that people have been married 50 years and they have tolerated one another for 50 years. Mm -hmm. Their marriage is not enjoyable. It is endured. And so the length of marriage, in my estimation, just having been around folks long enough, been a pastor for some length of time, is understanding that the length of marriage doesn't always mean you have this awesome, lovely, wonderful marriage where you just enjoy each other's company. But that's what God wants you to have. That's what God intended it to be. And it can be that. Okay? The best marriage is one where both husband and wife are givers rather than takers. Okay? That's the right kind of marriage. Now, the strongest marriages have Christ as the center of their marriage. I can't stress this enough. Psalm 127.1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Okay? Uh, so understand this. If you want to have an awesome marriage, build it on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When Christ is the center of any relationship, it will be strong. But if it's not... It usually has tendencies of selfishness and it will crumble and it will be not what it ought to be. Okay? Now, God has given specific roles and responsibilities in the relationship of marriage as well. And again, we can look at Ephesians 5.22 through verse number 33 to look at some of these roles and responsibilities uh, within the marriage. So uh, really quickly, if you still have your Bible open there in Ephesians 5, we'll take a look at this. If not, again, it will be up on the screen. You can follow along there. But here's what Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 22 through verse 33 says. It says this, Wives, submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, that verse right there, if it were to be proclaimed in our society right now, there would be pitchforks and torches and stuff, but it's still in the Word of God. And this is an important thing to remember. You submit to your husband not because he's an awesome guy, but you do it as unto the Lord. And husbands, you love your wife not because she's just so lovable and just so wonderful and you just can't help it. You do it as unto the Lord. Which means our obedience to this text has little to do with the behavior of the other person. It has everything to do with our attitude towards God. So it says here, Wives, submit yourself unto your own husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body, speaking of Christ. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, 
that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now again, there's a lot to unpack in these verses. We're not going to take the time to do all of that. But understand this, there are roles and responsibilities even within the marriage that are not popular in our culture today. But I'm telling you, if you will live them, they work. Just like anything else in the Bible, you say, well, that's not woke. That's not culturally appropriate. We're in the 21st century. Yeah, and come on now. That's why most of our marriages are ending in problems. Because we're not living this out because a lot of husbands aren't loving their wives like they should. They're loving themselves more than they love their wives. They're selfish. Yep. And there's a lot of wives that aren't being submissive to their husband, showing reverence and respect to him. Instead, they would rather be the head of the household and not having that proper role. And so, again, it's not a popular thing to preach nowadays, but God has given us roles and responsibilities even within the marriage. Now, again, just kind of some basic guidelines of married life. What does God have to say about marriage? What does God have to say about the roles within marriage? What does God have to say about love within marriage? What does God have to say about Him within marriage? So we have these principles of marriage. So now the question comes in, if God instituted and then gave instructions about marriage, does he have anything to say about our finances within marriage? And the answer to that would be yes. There are principles within the Word of God about finances and about marriage that we can put together and we can start to see a clearer picture of how God wants us to act even within our married life and our finances. So let me give you a few of them here and we'll quote some scripture along with these. But I'll try to go through these uh, rather briskly here. Okay, the first one is this. One flesh, one marriage, one bank account. Okay. Ephesians 5.31, which we've already read a few times here, says, And they too shall be one flesh. Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, say this, many couples make the erroneous decision to keep things separate. Separate bank accounts, separate bills, separate money. I pay for this, you pay for that. And they have things kept a separate way. Can I encourage you here this, this evening in that regard? Marriage is no longer a separate thing. It's a one flesh thing. You too became one, which, again, I know that there's a, a lot of debate about this. And people could say all kinds of things. But I've seen a lot of people struggle in their marriage because they keep things separate and they behave separately and they live separately when God says they're actually one flesh. You now are in a partnership, one flesh, one person. Put all your money into one account and begin to look at it as a whole. This is our money. This is our bills. This is our saving. This will help you solidify the thinking of one flesh. It's not yours and mine. It's ours. It's not yours. It's mine. It's ours, right? It's ours together, and it'll help you with that. 
Remember, you are on the same team, so act like it, right? You have the same last name, you have the same bank account, okay? Next one is this. Communication is the key to a healthy financial marriage. Actually, you can say this. Communication is key to any healthy marriage in any realm, but particularly in the area of finances. James 1.19 would say this. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, this is primarily in regard to the scriptures, right? When we hear the word of God preached, we need to be swift to hear it. We need to be slow to try to correct or say something about it and slow to get angry when God's word is preached, right? When we hear God's word. But that truth can be applied even in our communication skills that we do a lot better if we do a better job listening than we do speaking. Yep, you do a lot better job with that. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. Sometimes we can be so quick to, to say, well, this is what needs to happen, and you need to do this, and we need to change this, and we need to do this, without actually stopping and listening to somebody about what they say. Yep, seek first to understand, then to be understood. That is a great principle to live by in any realm of life. Seek first to understand somebody before you are understood. Man, that would revolutionize your marriage right there if you could just take home that one tidbit. Uh, it would help you out tremendously, but particularly in this area of finances. Many problems arise because we refuse to talk and, more importantly, listen. I honestly think that we could solve a lot of marriage problems if people would just actually talk to one another. <laughs> just, just communicate with each other, Right? Oftentimes we keep things bottled up. Oh, I hate that she did that. Oh, I can't believe he did that. And we allow it to fester and boil until it becomes this. <sighs> or we communicate it in an incorrect way. We explode or we get angry or we don't handle it. We become passive aggressive in the way that we communicate. Instead, show up and say, you know, this happened and it made me feel this way. Is there a way that we could maybe do this differently? And then listen. Listen to one another. Okay. Marriage is often about the power of synergy than it is of compromise. You say, well, what's, what are you talking about there, preacher? Well, synergy is, is a word. I don't know if Stephen Covey's the one that coined it, if he's the only one that's used this, but it's a word that's wonderful. It basically means this, the whole is much more than the sum of the parts. So synergy is you plus her equals more than two. It's a multiplication factor. God designed you as a completer, which means when you work together, you can do way more than you two working individually by yourself. It's a multiplying factor. Compromise simply means this, no one wins and no one's happy. <laughs> a lot of people say there needs to be compromise in marriage, and I would push back on that and say, I don't think there needs to be compromise in marriage. I think there needs to be synergy within marriage. Synergy simply means this. It's not that I get my way or you get your way. It simply means this. There's a win-win in that. Synergy simply means that there is an everyone wins solution. It becomes a win-win which is better than either of you could have thought on your own. If, if you understand this, if, if God created my wife to complete me and created me to complete my wife, that means us together can come up with a solution that either one of us couldn't have thought of on our own. If we'll put our hearts and we'll put our prayers together and we'll put our thoughts and mindset together and we will honestly think about the problem in a not my way or your way mindset, 
Not a compromise, fine, you get what you want and I'll get this little bit of what I want. But instead, think of something even greater than that. God designed you in marriage to be able to do that. And if you've ever experienced it, it's a wonderful thing when both people bring their best to the table and work together on the problem to come up with a solution that is so much better than any of you could have thought on your own. It's a wonderful thing that can happen. So uh, understand this. Communication's key. Uh, be able to communicate. Next one is this. <clears throat> you are different, and that's okay. Now, you can take that however you want and say, well, you're, you're kind of different. <laughs> uh, or you can take it as to what it's meant to be here, uh, husband and wife, you're different. right? God, God designed you differently uh, in marriage. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Which means this, from the beginning, God created male and female, and he made us different. I'm thankful in many ways that my wife is different than me. Amen. Now, that's not just in a physiological way, but most of the time that's what we think of as different. But I'm thankful God made her different emotionally and spiritually and so many other ways also. Because she'll look at a problem and look at solutions a lot differently than I do. Amen. And that's not bad. That's actually a very good thing. So say here in the note, God made us pink and blue. Now, hopefully I didn't play too much into the colors here on this, but most people would say pink would represent a girl and a blue would represent a boy, right? I don't know if they still do that at the hospital. You got the pink and you got your blue, right? You got a boy and a girl. So God made pink and blue. God made male and female. Despite what our culture might say, there is a major difference between men and women. There's not a fluidity between genders. There's not a confusion of genders. There's not you can be one or the other, choose what you want. You're different. God made you that way. By design, God created you different. Not only are there differences of genders, but we all view money differently as well. So not only is it a male-female difference that we're already a little bit different because God created us that way, but within each person, each relationship, there's going to be some differences as well. So in your relationship, you might identify one person's a spender while another person's a saver. And that, might have, that has nothing to do with gender. It just has to do with maybe he's the saver and she's the spender or vice versa, right? Maybe it has to do with this. One might <clears throat> have expensive taste while the other is a penny pincher. Uh, just talking about for me and my wife, we're both tend on the side of more penny pincher people. Uh, but she grew up in a household where if there's three different types of green, green beans, her mom's going to buy the most expensive one because that means it's the best in her mind. I grew up in a household with there's three types of green beans. My parents buy the cheapest because it's the cheapest. <laughs> so we just came kind of from different worlds in, in that environment as well. We had to decide what we were going to be like in that. So one might have expensive taste with the others, a penny pincher. One might be the financial nerd and the other one's a free spirit. Someone might sit down and just love crunching the numbers. And, Oof, we move this here, we can do this and let's do this. And they're just geeking out and they love it. And then the other one's just like... We have money. Let's spend it. Hooray. And it's just whatever is whatever. Sarah, Sarah, right? Uh, now again, just maybe overdoing it on both sides of that. But usually in a relationship, not everyone's the nerd. Not everyone's the penny pincher. There's usually differences. And listen, that's not a bad thing. Amen. God, God made you different. It's not necessarily that one's right and one's wrong. It simply means this. God puts you together in marriage and he made you that way, so now you can actually use that to help make it better. Because maybe it is you don't need to be a Scrooge in a 
penny pincher as much. Maybe it is you don't need to be that free of a spirit. And the other one will help rein in those things to help it be something better than you would have been individually on your own. It can be so much better. God made you different to make you better together. Okay. The next one is this. Keep it all in the open, nothing hidden. Keep it all in the open, nothing hidden. Ephesians 4.25 says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. If that's true within a church environment, how much more in a marriage environment? Speak truth to each other. Okay? Proverbs 12.19 says, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Being deceitful in your finances is never okay. Secret accounts, hiding expenses, stashing hidden cash, and it could be in your mind a positive thing. Well, they just spend all the time, so I stash this away so I have something to save for the future. Whatever the thing is, if it's deceitful, it never works out well. A good rule of thumb is this. If it feels deceitful, it probably is. If you say, man, I hope they don't figure out about this, that's probably deceitful and you shouldn't be doing it. Be open about it. If you're worried about them being a spender, and then open communication. Talk about that, right? But don't go down the trope of hiding things. All you're going to do is breed a, a sense of insecurity within the relationship when that happens. Keep things open and keep things honest. Uh, just kind of a, a silly thing about this. Me and my wife have always been very uh, open about our finances and things uh, in that regard. <clears throat> but there was um, one time we were trying to be a little bit more tight. And I really needed a Sonic drink. I went to Sonic and ordered it through the mobile app. And the email came through and I deleted the email. She found the email and I got busted over a $1.50 drink. Well, I'll say it's kind of a, a humorous thing now. Kind of we joke about it and stuff. I'll say this. It's a small area, but don't allow that to blossom into something where you're being deceitful and trying to hide things. If it feels deceitful, it probably is. Okay? And then this last one, which I think is so good, dream together and set expectations together. Dream together and set expectations together. <clears throat> Unmet expectations can be very detrimental to a marriage. And this is true in the area of finances as well. Set goals and ambitions together as a married couple walk together in this journey. Um, you might have an ambition and a goal in your life that you want to do something financially or you want to get out of debt or you want to buy this or you want to do this or you want to own a home, whatever it might be. But make that, instead of your goal, make it our goal. Make it a part of your marriage relationship. You sit down and say, hey, what do you think about this? Let's start working together on that. I'm telling you, you're going to go way further in those ambitions and goals if you talk about it together. Uh, spouse, I would like to go to college and try to get this degree. Well, let's talk about that. Is that something we want to call? Okay, now I'm behind you 100%. This is something we want to pursue together. Or maybe pivot. Well, have you thought about this? There's maybe this different thing that we can do. Listen, I'm telling you, synergy together. Go on that journey together. And that's true even of dreams and hopes and ambitions that you have uh, along the way in your married life. So practical application for my personal financial life. We'll make this here uh, really quick. Okay, Marriage is meant to make you holy, and that includes your finances. If God included and gave marriage, husband 
and wife to be one completer so that they could worship the Lord more completely, then that ought to be true of our finances as well. Okay? That God gave us our spouse to help us even in that area. Number two, find win-win solutions to every financial problem. You can have lose-lose situations. Those are called compromise. You can have win-lose situations. I get my way, you don't. Or you can come up with something even better. Synergy, win-win. Every problem has a win-win solution. All it takes is communication, love, and openness to be able to talk about that. Okay? And then the third one is this. Open communication is always the best option to have a happy financial marriage. Be open, nothing hidden. Communicate about things. Dream together. All of those things are wonderful things to do together. God gave the institution of marriage, and I'm thankful He did. It's an awesome, 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 wonderful thing. It doesn't have to be negative. God has a lot to say about marriage. And so let's take marriage counseling tonight as a church and apply it even to our financial life. Hopefully it will be a blessing. Let's all stand together as we come to...